I'm a 25 year old female. I moved to a new part of town all alone for the very first time with my dog in November. It is known as more of a hipster area and is being known for higher crime, but it still has plenty of nice bars, restaurants, awesome shopping, dog parks, etc. I'm the only single person living in a single unit building on the ground floor. The building has a secured entrance out in the front, but the back has a gate that doesn't lock and any one of the apartments can be entered from the back as well with the back door. Shortly after moving into the apartment, my dog became very sick, like to the point that she started having seizures every time she ate, and I also wasn't sleeping because she would puke every two hours throughout the night. This went on intermittently for about two months before it got to a point that I actually had to take her to a more advanced vet ER clinic where she was then admitted overnight. Keep in mind that I had been running, carrying her in my arms in absolute hysterics to go meet my friend in broad daylight to get her there. I had arrived home alone around 7pm. I finished up some work projects and I'll also inform you that I was stone cold sober as I had to keep my phone right next to me because the vet kept calling me every 30 minutes to an hour with updates. Right at about 1.15 or so, I had just gotten off the phone with the vet again when I then heard something at the back of my door. I thought it might just be wind or something to that effect, but it sounded like someone would shake my door handle, walk away, then try it all over again. I made my 911 call at 1.29 a.m. When they arrived, no one was there, and they rolled in deep with about 10 cops and flashlights. They checked all around my apartment, but they didn't find anything. I installed a ring doorbell two days after, but my landlord still hasn't installed a kick plate in my back door or a lock on the back gate. I've withheld rent this month so far, but got a notice that I'll have to pay late fees on my rent. They also told me that I could potentially move to a different building and take over a new lease over there so that they could rent this unit out, then came back and said never mind, I'm not allowed to do that. I also have a theory on my next door neighbor, and I'm happy to explain why I'm suspicious of him based on the things he's done and taken of mine when I take them out to the trash. I guess for now, that's all I got. I'll be sure to post an update if anything else happens. Back in May of 2013, I had moved out of my parents' house and into an apartment community. As I was moving in the very first day, I had heard some loud thumping from the apartment above me. I had hoped it was just a fluke and that the people above me just happened to be doing something loud at the time, but over the next few months, it just got worse. They would very frequently make really loud thumping noises and slam things down, sometimes even causing the room to vibrate a little. I really have no idea what they could have possibly been doing that would be so noisy. I would often hear them screaming and arguing with each other at all times during the day and night. It also wasn't uncommon for them to have a shouting match at 1am. I reported them to the apartment manager but she didn't seem to take my complaint very seriously and then brushed me off, saying she'd look into it. I was already locked into my lease for at least a year so she didn't have much incentive to do anything as long as nothing serious happened. She only cared about collecting rent rather than providing a good community for the residents. I was completely ready to take matters into my own hands and then confront them about their late night fights, but then the situation took a really dark turn. Things went from annoying to creepy when one night the couple had started threatening each other. 
I heard the guy shout out, You walk out that door and you'll never come back. And then the girl shouted back, Get out of my way! That's when I then heard a loud thud and what sounded like glass breaking. Then I heard hurried footsteps walk out the building and the door to the outside open and slam shut. It was eerily quiet after that. Even though it was well past midnight, my curiosity really got the better of me and I walked out my door and into the hallway. I climbed up the stairs to the apartment above me and I saw the door still open. The guy noticed me looking in and then walked up to me. Who the hell are you? What do you want? He asked harshly. I heard some noise and yelling. Everything alright? I replied. Yeah, everything's fine. Mind your own damn business. He then just slammed the door right in my face. I kind of just stood there for a few seconds, wondering if I should call the police or not. I decided not to because there really wasn't anything I could tell them, and I was kind of afraid of how this guy might react to his downstairs neighbor calling the police on him. I walked back down the stairs and into my apartment. Things were rather quiet from above over the next few days. I had hoped that his girlfriend had left her obviously unstable boyfriend for good, and that would be the end of it. Unfortunately, I just wasn't that lucky. A couple of nights later when I was sleeping, I had heard a noise coming from the outside hallway that woke me up. I heard some loud footsteps coming up the stairs. I got out of bed and walked over to my door and looked out the peephole. At first, I saw nothing. Then I saw two men walk down the stairs and then stop to discuss something for a few minutes. I'd got a really uneasy feeling about them as it was late at night and I'd never seen them before. The door leading to the outside is permanently locked and can only be opened with a key, so either someone had let them in or they had a key. But who were they and why were they here? Then they walked out of the building. It was odd seeing this, but I didn't think much of it and just went back to bed, just really relieved that they were gone. But not ten minutes later, I had heard those same footsteps yet again. I was still awake and I walked over to the peephole. Those same two men had returned. I saw the guy who lived above me walk down to greet them. I couldn't hear what they were talking about, but they had started to raise their voices with them. Then one of them grabbed the guy and then slammed him against the wall. It was right next to my apartment door, so I heard the loud thud of his body banging against my wall and then him shouting, Hey, let go of me! I quickly got down and then backed away from my door as I didn't want them to notice me looking through the peephole. My heart was beating in fear as I heard the guy scream in pain as one of the men punched him. Then one of them shouted, If you ever come near my sister ever again, I'll cut your throat. The guy pleaded once again for them to let him go, but they slammed him against my wall yet again. I then heard them walk down the stairs and out of the building. I kind of just sat there crouched down for a few minutes in total shock as to what had happened. I literally just witnessed my upstairs neighbor get assaulted and then have his life threatened by two thugs right outside my door. When I finally got back up, I looked out my peephole and nobody was there. I tried to go back to sleep, but I was too on edge. I just laid there in bed, afraid those guys might come back and wondering once again if I should call the police. I decided not to call them since I really didn't want to get involved in a dispute between my upstairs neighbor and two dangerous men that had assaulted him and also threatened to kill him. Thankfully he moved out shortly after that incident and there wasn't any more trouble with those guys. 
I moved the hell out of there as soon as my lease expired, as I didn't feel safe living there after that night. And again, the apartment manager clearly didn't care about the community she was in charge of. I've since bought my own condo, and I'm forever grateful that I'll never have to deal with upstairs neighbors ever again. Hearing someone get attacked right outside your apartment door, and then have his life threatened right in front of you, well, that's something you just never forget. Before my husband and I got married, we were living together in a mediocre apartment complex in a similarly mediocre part of the city. Now, it wasn't an especially dangerous place, but security at the complex was severely lacking. For context, I once had my car stolen right out of the parking lot in broad daylight without anyone noticing. Another issue with the complex's parking lot was its shortage of spaces. This was usually more of an annoyance than anything, but on one occasion, it had put me in very real danger. I was still finishing my degree at the time, and I had night classes that, in combination with an hour and a half commute, left me getting home on most nights well after 11pm. Often I was lucky enough to find a space in the main parking lot by my building, but there were a few occasions when I found myself having to park in a much farther lot. The slot was very poorly lit, it had no buildings near it, and usually had very few cars in it. It was creepy in and of itself. But what really scared me about it was the extended walk from it. As a 21-year-old woman, I had already had plenty of experience with creeps, late-night walks, and unpleasant combinations of the two. But usually those walks were down a street or somewhere more public. Walking alone through this big, dark, empty lot really made me feel like sitting prey. No one had noticed when someone stole my car in the middle of the day. Why should I expect anyone to notice if something happened to me there in the middle of the night? With all this going through my head most nights to begin with, there was one evening in particular when getting out of my car just felt like a really bad idea. Now, I'm not a superstitious person, but my intuition was buzzing from the very minute that I unlocked my door. I'd only taken a few steps when I had spotted a man standing stock still right by the dumpster near my building. He didn't have any trash. He wasn't looking through it. He wasn't smoking. He wasn't doing anything. He was just standing there looking at me. I was still all the way across the parking lot, but other than getting back in my car, there was no way around him. The dumpster was squarely in the middle of the two entrances to my building, so no matter which way I went, I'd have to walk directly toward him. My keys were already between my fingers, but I wasn't feeling very confident about whether this would help or not. I'm not a strong person, and I'm also only about 5 foot 3. More than anything, I felt silly for being so afraid, but I knew in my gut something was wrong. This man had appeared out of nowhere. I'd driven past the dumpster on my way into the lot, and he hadn't been there. Also, I knew what everyone in my building had looked like, and there's absolutely no way that he would have had time to get there from another building between when I passed the dumpster and when I parked. As I got closer, it became increasingly obvious that I wasn't imagining the man staring at me. Especially because, as I got closer, he turned his body so that he was always facing me. Kind of like a sunflower. Just rotating in place, always watching me. Then came the moment when I had to pass him to get to the door. I felt really silly doing it, but I turned around and walked half backwards as I got close to passing him. 
I left a really wide space between us as I drew near by walking in the grass instead of on the sidewalk, but I still didn't want to turn my back on him. Eventually, though, I had to, and the second I did, I heard footsteps. Not just footsteps, but running footsteps. They were coming toward me, and really fast. So I ran too. I sprinted to the building, ran up the steps to the door, entered the pen as quickly as I could, and then hoped to hell that he wouldn't be able to follow me. I didn't stop running until I got to my apartment door, three flights of stairs later. My neighbors were probably pissed about the noise, but I was terrified. The second I got in the door, I told my then-fiancé everything that happened between panic breaths, and he immediately called security. While he did, I went to go peek through the balcony window to see if I could spot the man. I couldn't. He was nowhere to be seen. When security finally arrived, they reported the same. No one was around. I still have no idea what the man was doing there before I got there or where he came from, and I've moved across town since then. Hey everyone, I need to take a moment to thank today's sponsor Audible for sponsoring today's episode. Audible is the leading provider for spoken word all in one place. If you enjoy books, but you don't really have the time to sit around reading them, Audible is the perfect solution for you. Audible has tons of content from a really wide variety. Since I know you guys like listening to scary stories, I highly recommend you check out their horror selection which ranges from true crime to scary stories, and even ghost stories for you paranormal fans out there. I've actually been listening to Goosebumps on there, as I grew up listening to those in school, and it's still so good even to this day. Audible's also excited to offer members an exciting new way to explore their interests with the included Plus Catalog. So if you have no idea where to start, the Plus Catalog is a really great way to find new favorites and formats, like the exclusive Words Plus Music series or even a podcast that you've never considered before. Visit audible.com cannibal or text cannibal to 500-500 to start your free 30-day trial today. Now if you're all ready, let's get back into the stories. Despite happening three years ago, the trauma of what happened still affects me to this day. And the guy still hasn't been caught in that length of time, which hasn't helped in my mental therapy I've been taking ever since it happened. So at the time of the event in 2017, I was a 17-year-old Tokyo high school student and had just finished my classes for the day. And, regrettably, I was quite the isolated and unsociable type of person. Never really fit in with any social group. Which, yes, I know, depressing, but that's not what the main focus is. So earlier in the day, we had a transfer student from a guy who had moved from Hokkaido, likely Sapporo. To this day, I don't know why he moved to Hokkaido. Probably because of a family move to Tokyo, but again, I'm no magician to know. And we practically hit it off right away. And for context, I'm a girl. A tomboy more than anything with short hair, and I looked way more tough than I actually was and would often get a varying amount of stares from people on the street mistaking me for male. Anyway, we became good friends really quickly due to our love of history and general nerd stuff, and soon we begun to hang out outside of our classes and such, attending arcades, cafes, stuff like that. 
about three or four months into our friendship, I'd begun to notice he was getting more and more weird around me. And no, it wasn't the type of weirdness that would reveal if you liked someone or not, but it was the type of controlling attitude. He always demanded to know where I was if I wasn't at school or home. He went around telling people we were dating, which got me a lot of stares, mind you. And eventually, he even began making inappropriate gestures towards me on text, and even if we were together. It got more and more extreme until I had enough and blocked him on Twitter and even Line, which is the Japanese equivalent to WhatsApp, etc. Now I know. I could have at least told him why he was beginning to creep me out, but I never imagined he would do what he did later on. And for note, I lived with my mother in an apartment complex at the time, and after I blocked him and began generally skipping school a lot more to purposefully avoid him, but it didn't stop there. He would create account after account on the social medias I had, spamming me with messages of at first friendly nature, asking me why I blocked him and whatnot, but after a while, it became much more violent. He began calling me with multiple numbers, and had started sending me DMs of what he would do to me if he ever saw me again. His messages were not even the type of threats you would see in cliche horror films. It was genuine, sickening stuff. And to this day, I cannot believe I did not call the police, or at least report the guy on social media. Then again, the Japanese police are often very laid back, at least in my own experiences in the past, and they did put very little effort into finding him afterwards. He did stop the endless calls and messages for a few weeks, and I had finally began to recover. And no, he didn't know my address. Yet. We always met up at cafes or general public areas and never went to each other's houses. In fact, he was really opposed to me visiting him at his house, but would often beg or give subtle hints he wanted to go to my place, which is a big red flag now that I'm typing my story. But my short period of peace was quickly stopped, and even in 2021, four years after this story took place, I do not know how the hell he found where I lived. He might have followed me home, or even asked teachers for my address, which is common if a student has been missing school. Another student will be asked to deliver work or assignments to them, and is given their address. He begun sending me pictures of my front door, my apartment complex, me walking into my apartment and out of it again. For context, my apartment complex is a large building full of apartments opposing another row of apartments, meaning you can see the tenants on the other side from the other. But even this grew extreme. I was continuously woken up night after night by loud bangs on my door, which is a very flimsy door. One good and firm smash into it is enough to bring it crumbling, and don't ask how my neighbors didn't hear it. I often never even talked to them, and my mom was away on a business trip to America, and it was finally at this point I called the police. I couldn't take it anymore. I begged every night that my door wouldn't come flying out of its hinges, but he was always gone long before the police even arrived, who in fact always said that there was nothing they could do. 
The cameras hadn't worked in years, and there was no proof of anything but harassment so far, and even if he was caught, he would be given a light sentence, and doubted a restraining order would even do much. And yes, I did tell the police his name, but we will call Tahi for the sake of this story, but due to lack of evidence, he was seemingly never arrested. This wasn't even the final straw. I had begun to bite my nails till they were nothing but a bleeding mess. I constantly checked over my shoulder, even began to ignore my phone, which was still being spammed with calls and threatening messages, some of which would have landed him on death row if he was convicted. They were that bad. After another month of this mental torture, the last bullet was fired, and in the night of another restless rest, he bashed down my apartment door kicking it open with a relentless force that essentially shook everything in my apartment, and he barged in. For context, my apartment is set up with only a door for the entrance and a door for the bathroom, but we had no lock, and due to my dazed state, my hair was grabbed and I was pulled around the room. I'm sure he even ripped out a few hair strands along with it. I didn't even have time to scream, shoving his spare hand into my mouth and kicking me to the floor. I was scared. My legs were shaking. I was crying and he was on top of me, pulling away at my clothes and ripping them. This part I won't get into, as the events of what happened scarred me forever. It lasted for hours. My face was cut and he threatened me that if I made a single noise he'd kill me and my mom. So I didn't. I lay there for hours and I blacked out. I awoke the next morning in a hospital bed, my throat dry, my ears ringing, multiple broken bones and covered in bandages. I was told by police that a young man had found me once the sun had rose, finding my apartment door smashed open and me half beaten to death and covered in cuts, some of which I still have scars for. They never found him, he had vanished from the face of the planet. Even the house they found to be his was completely empty, besides hundreds of pictures of me scattered around the wall like a psycho. I never went back there to that apartment. As soon as I went back there to pack my things, I was hit with a panic attack. I felt lightheaded going near that apartment complex. I dropped out of school. I became mute and left Japan to live with my mother in the States for the duration of her business trip, which lasted a few more months, and we moved to Kyoto. I burned that phone, the phone that started that torture. I'm doing better now. I have a job, and am beginning to speak again, and I turned 21 a few months ago. But my life was hell after that. I became a heavy drinker. I was admitted to multiple therapists, but the trauma from then still exists. I will never set foot in that city again. And to you, Tahi, the man who ruined my life, I hope you suffer in the biggest pit of hell for what you did. And I hope that you didn't succeed in ruining others like you did me. And everyone listening to this, remember to not always think of everyone as a friend with good intentions like I did. This happened when I was 19 years old and living in Texas. 
I had been in a psych hospital for my mental illness. As part of my discharge, I was sent to group therapy. This is when I met Wade. Wade was about 30 years old. He immediately took an interest in me romantically. I politely declined his advances, but perhaps not as much as I should have, being so naive and unsure of just how to deal with this kind of unwanted attention. When he asked me for my number, I reluctantly agreed and gave it to him. Soon afterwards, the text started. His infatuation with me made me quite uncomfortable, and whenever I brought it up to the group leader, she assured me he was on medication and just totally harmless, so I gave him the benefit of the doubt. After all, he was sick and lonely. I felt bad for him, so I continued to reply to his texts even after stopping group therapy. He was very clearly struggling with delusions and fixations, but overall I agreed. He seemed harmless, at least I think I wanted to believe that. Over the next few months, Wade continued to text me a lot and invite me out for coffee incessantly. I replied here and there, mostly because I just felt bad. But as the weeks went by, he seemed to get progressively more unhinged sending me really long rants about God and Satan and vague strange Bible verses. His compliments became more bizarre and elaborate and sometimes outright sexual. If I didn't reply back, he would send me multiple text messages in a row. The syntax of his sentences became more jumbled and sometimes the texts he sent made no sense at all. I mostly went along with it as I was very naive. His behavior made me really uncomfortable, but I tried to tell myself he was harmless. No big deal. A few months later, I had been readmitted to the hospital, and I was really desperate to be discharged. I couldn't afford another stay. About five hours into my admission, I had signed an AMA order, and I was on my way home. The only problem was that the hospital was about two hours away from my dorm, and I didn't have a ride. At this point in my life, I was very ashamed to suffer from a mental illness and I refused to call a friend to come pick me up as I just didn't want to explain myself. I also don't really have any family. The shuttle that the hospital contracted with wouldn't come till morning, so when they finally handed me back my phone, the first name I saw was Wade's. He had texted me a bunch, of course. He always did. But Wade had a truck and he already knew about my illness and in an act of desperation, I decided to call him. The entire time that I waited for him to arrive, I had a really uneasy feeling. I just knew it was a bad idea, but I was just so desperate to get the hell out of that place. So when his white pickup truck pulled up to the hospital, I pushed my gut feeling aside and just got in. Wade seemed very normal at first, making conversation as we started. The route went through a really rural area on a major interstate and should have been pretty straightforward with very few exits and turns. He even had his navigation system all set up. I had told him just to drop me off at the university, never giving what dorm I lived in. Being Wade, he rambled on about religion and God and Satan, as well as lacing and random compliments and observations about how I looked. I sort of engaged with him, but I was very mentally fatigued at the moment. Then I noticed Wade make a turn away from the interstate. I was really confused, and so I told him, Hey, I think you made a wrong turn. 
He then mumbled something and pushed a few buttons on the navigation system. I know where I'm going. Alright, fine. Maybe he knew another way that I didn't. But then he made another turn, this time onto a random country road with nothing but fields on either side. The pit in my stomach began to grow as the navigation system struggled to reroute us. Uh, I think we're going the wrong way, Wade, I said a bit apprehensively. Without saying another word, Wade turned off the navigation system. He almost seemed annoyed. Uh, Wade? No answer. Instead, he just turned off the radio and we were silent. The vibe in the truck had now shifted. His face, which was previously friendly, had now become hardened and cold. He wouldn't even glance at me. We flew down the country road going way too fast. Nothing but rows and rows of crops in either direction. I had no idea where we were. I checked my phone. No signal. I began to panic as it then sank in that I was totally alone in the middle of nowhere with this man. I tried again to talk to him and I knew he could hear my voice shake. I was petrified of what was going to happen. Then finally he spoke, but what he said absolutely shook me. He began to talk loudly in a really booming voice that filled the truck. God has spoken to me. I've had a prophetic dream. You're an angel. I'm not an angel, Wade. I said back. Yes, you are. You're beautiful and majestic. I had a dream before I met you that you were an angel sent from God to marry me and bring into the world the second coming of Christ. He began to drive more erratically, taking random turns down even more empty roads. My heart was pounding. I was shaken badly. Wade was totally unhinged behind the wheel of his truck, taking me wherever he wanted to do God knows what with me. I knew that he had a gun in his glove compartment. He had mentioned it to me before about his mom trying to take it away from him. As he continued to yell more about his delusions concerning me and my destiny to bear his child, I began to yell back at him that he was talking nonsense and then demanding that he take me back to our town. It was almost as if he didn't even hear me, his voice talking over me repeating the same delusions about me being an angel and our destiny together. Finally something in me snapped. I screamed at him. I mean neck vein bulging, head pounding, vocal cord hurting screamed at him. I told him that if he didn't take me back safely, I was going to call the cops. I told him I had 911 on my phone ready to make the call and that he would go to prison. I screamed that he was insane and that I wasn't an angel and that God hadn't told him anything. To my surprise, suddenly Wade got really quiet. He turned the radio back on and plugged in the university address into the navigation system. Soon, we were back on the interstate. Now, I was very far from calm, but for whatever reason, he was back on route like nothing had ever happened. He ended up dropping me off at the university without a single word, and I blocked him that night. That didn't stop him, however, as he used his friend's number in Facebook Messenger, calling me all sorts of names. I would also catch him circling around my dorm and waiting outside of it. I would peek outside my window and I would see his white pickup truck parked in the handicapped spot, waiting for me. I have no idea how he got my address. Later on, the hospital staff had told me that he had actually called them multiple times, claiming to be my husband and asking about me. 
creepy as hell. Eventually, he finally left me alone. I still shudder to think about what would have happened if I hadn't exploded on him like I did. I really wonder where he was taking me. I stopped to think that maybe he was having some kind of mental break, but him turning off and on the navigation really makes me think that he had some kind of awareness to his actions. Anyway, the moral of the story is to not be stupid like me and trust people so easily, especially if you're a young and vulnerable girl. You don't ever owe a man your attention. If they creep you out, just block them. And whatever you do, never get into a car with them. This happened about 10 years ago. I'm a female and at the time this occurred, I was in my late 20s. I was living alone in a relatively big house in a really good neighborhood. It was actually my childhood home, but since the death of my father, my mother had decided to sell our house and she moved to something smaller. This presented me with an opportunity to stay there rent-free while the house was on the market. Anyway, I had worked during the day at the time. I generally got off work around 3.30 in the afternoon, which meant I got home around 4 every day. I tried to always go home right away, even if I had something else to do, because I had a little Yorkshire Terrier that needed to be let outside to do her business, especially after me being gone for 8-9 to nine hours at work. So it's pretty safe to say that I followed the schedule every day. Now to be clear, the location of my house was not on any sort of commercial avenue. This was mainly a suburb. There was an elementary school that was right up the street and a golf course a few blocks away. If people were ever out walking on the neighborhood, it was safe to assume they lived nearby. One day I came home after work as usual, and I had noticed something in the front of the door. It was a small porcelain clown with a Halloween pumpkin face. I thought this was very odd, but I couldn't help but smile. You see, I really love scary movies, and Halloween is my favorite holiday. So I thought it was kind of funny that this weird little doll would end up on my porch. But the question is, how did it end up on my porch? Oh well, I thought. No big deal. Maybe it's just some kids from the school fooling around. Well, about two days later, I had came home from work yet again, and laying in front of my door were flowers. Not just any flowers, though. Hand-picked flowers. As if they'd just been ripped right from the dirt. I suddenly remembered the clown and I began to wonder if it was the same person. I mean, two things now have deliberately been left in front of my door. I picked the flowers up and I then threw them off to the side of the house. That night is when things started to get a little bit creepy. I kept hearing noises all around the house. I had security lights, but those were constantly coming on anyway due to all the rabbits and deer coming into the yard. The dog's ears would always perk up and she would then start growling. It scared me so much that I didn't take the dog outside for the rest of the night. In the morning when I got up, I had started to go about my usual routine. After I started my coffee, I had went to the front door where the dog was eagerly waiting to be let outside. I opened the door and bent down to get the newspaper, and what I saw just absolutely shook me. There were cigarette butts all over my porch. I mean like a dozen of them. And then I see the flowers. They had been bundled back up and then placed right next to the door again. I was terrified. 
This felt hostile to me. It was like somebody wanted me to know that they were there and that they could be whenever they wanted without me knowing. I very rarely stayed at the house by myself after this incident, but nothing else happened. Well, not for another two weeks, that is. As I was coming home from work, I noticed that all the lights in the house were on. I never leave them on since it's still daylight when I get home. Upon entering the house, nothing looked disturbed. That is, until I got to my bedroom. My laundry basket had been turned over, and my clothes were thrown all over the place. The only thing missing, though, were my panties. Yeah, I immediately moved out the next month. Nothing else had happened after this last incident, but I have no clue who this person was, how they knew my schedule, or how the hell they got in my house. Ten years later, and this still really baffles me, but I'm just really glad that I never met this creep in person. At least, not that I'm aware of. About a year ago, my best friend Kay and I were hanging out like normal when we got really bored. We didn't want to just drive around like we normally do, so we decided to make it a road trip to drive to this supposedly haunted park along the southern border of Ohio. After about an hour and a half of driving, enjoying all the city lights and sounds, we arrived. This was about 7 or 8 at night, so the sun was down. I pulled my car into the dark empty parking lot at the base of a really huge hill. We got out of the car and we started walking up the sidewalk. We were really enjoying the night. We took pictures of each other on our phones, then we continued up the path and did everything we came there to do, then deciding to head back to the car. As we were walking down the hill, we passed another parking lot. Sitting there in the parking lot was a black car. It was turned on, but the headlights were off. The windows were completely blacked out, so we weren't able to see who was inside of it. It gave me a really bad vibe, but we just continued to walk unbothered, as if we didn't even see it. Everything was pretty normal until the car slowly started to follow us down the hill. Now a few years ago, women were going missing all around southern Ohio. Some have never been found, and some were even found dead. The person responsible was never caught. Not to mention, Ohio is one of the best states for sex trafficking. So yeah, this is all I could think about as this really creepy car was following us down the hill. I made sure to keep an eye on it out of my peripheral vision as we quickened our pace. The car sped up as well. I told Kay to get off the sidewalk and we cut through the grass and trees down the parking lot. The car sped up and passed us. Thinking everything was okay, we then slowed down. That was until to our horror, we realized that the same creepy car had pulled into the same parking lot we were going to. My heart sank and then some sort of switch flipped inside me, my brain now scrambling to action. I yelled at Kay to run and I took off full speed to my car unlocking all the doors and screaming the rest of the way down the hill. Kay followed behind me, scared and shaking. I ripped my door open as Kay and I basically just jumped into the car. In a mere seconds, I had started up the car and was backing it up. A light had flicked on inside the really creepy car, which was parked by the only exit. There was a man, bald and white, probably in his late thirties, just sitting there and staring, almost glaring at us. There was only one way out of this parking lot. 
I started to pull towards it, when suddenly the creepy man started backing up at full speed towards us, trying to block us in. I punched the gas, swerving around his car, barely missing it. I whipped my car out onto the street, taking random turns, trying to lose him if he followed us. When we were finally sure that nobody was behind us, we then headed home. We pretty much drove in silence almost the whole way back. We were really lucky that day. You always hear the horror stories of women just disappearing without a trace. That could have been us that night. Please everyone, stay observant and always trust your gut. Thank you for listening to my story and stay safe out there. When I was in the sixth grade, I lived about a five minute walk away from my school and I lived in a neighborhood with almost no crime. So walking to and from school wasn't really a safety concern for my family. It was kind of a rainy day outside, but my friends had asked me if I could stay and play at our school's playground for just a little bit longer. I called my mom to see if that was okay with her. Both of my parents are teachers, so they were still at their schools teaching. My mom said it was fine, but just to be home by seven at the latest. I was a pretty good kid, and I never really gave my parents a reason not to trust me, so this wasn't unusual for them to let me stay out late. Right before it hit seven, I decided that it was time for me to head home. About a minute or two into my walk, I had saw a man approach me. I've always been a little bit of a paranoid person, but this man, something about him just really sent shivers down my spine. He had white hair, baggy pants, a ribbed t-shirt, and he had a backpack on him. At first, I just thought he was going to ask me for directions or something like that, but he didn't. He started asking me really random questions like, where do I live, are my parents home right now, why am I out so late, and things like that. I didn't want to answer him, so I just started walking away from him. I took a longer route with more turns to see if he would follow me, and sure enough, he was. At this point, I started running because 10-year-old me was getting really scared. I finally got to my house and I thought that I would be safe because he wouldn't be so crazy to follow me even more, right? No, I was wrong. This crazy psycho dude ran right up to my driveway, inches behind me, but I got into my house and locked the door right as he put his hand on the door handle. I started to panic now, knowing that I was in danger. I called my parents because for some reason they still weren't home, but there was no answer. I'm really freaking out at this point and I start to cry. I can now hear the man coming through my gate into my backyard. One of the walls in my kitchen is basically just a window, so I can see my whole backyard from it. And lo and behold, he was standing right on my deck staring at me. The man ran full force into the glass, actually trying to break it. I decide that now is a good time to call the police. So I get on the phone and the operator tells me to grab something to defend myself with and then go into a room that can lock with the window. Before I run away, I look back one last time to see this nasty sweaty body pressed up against the glass. That picture will forever be in my mind. It was the most disturbing thing I had ever seen. The next thing I know, I hear a knock at the bathroom door. It's my dad and he's asking if I'm in there and if I'm okay. He comes in and I explain to him everything that happened and how I was really scared. He said he talked to the police officers outside when he got home. Turns out that the man was a dangerous homeless man with several mental illnesses. The police managed to catch him and they took him to a mental institution where he's still there to this day. 
This experience has really scarred me, and I will always remember that man pressed up against my window. I know he'll never see this, but just in case you do, I never want to see your face ever again. Now this happened in my senior year of high school when I was 17 years old, about to turn 18. I'm a 5 foot 3, 90 pound female who from a very early age has been lusted over by much older men. So by 17 years old, I had been experiencing it for 6 years now. So by that age, I was already very used to the really creepy gazes that I would randomly receive out in public. But Mr. B, he always gave me more than just a gaze. Though I moved around often and went to very many different schools, Mr. B was the first teacher I had who gave me the creeps on a daily basis. I had a sub or two in the past sneak glances at me or even one who gave me his number, but I never saw them again. With Mr. B, however, it was a daily thrill of anxiety as I always wondered what was next, and as you'll see, it would eventually progress beyond school. I had Mr. B first period, and as a senior who had chosen it as a science elective, I was definitely relaxed and I enjoyed talking to my friends often throughout class. As I said, it was supposed to be an elective science class, but he would often ramble off the entire class periods into his specific political and religious views, or just play an unrelated war movie as he had talked to me and my group of friends. Imagine walking into a room and facing 12 o'clock at Mr. B facing towards the door, while the rest of the seats are in front of him facing 3 o'clock. The flag was at like 10 o'clock, so when we did the pledge, we had to stand up and turn around. That'll become relevant later. With the way the seats were, I sat almost directly in front of him, slightly to his right at the back of the class. For whatever reason, he would often intervene in my group's conversations, but no one else's. He would comment on our appearances, which we would always share really blatantly weirded out looks at him. My main two friends and I were the weird kids, so all three of us were all pretty much in black. I had long red hair, light blue contacts, piercings, and often wore super tall heels. He would always compliment me and tell me how much older I looked, and as the awkward person I was, I would kind of just laugh and thank him and keep my eyes down. Soon during the pledge, he would scoot almost five feet over towards me that he could genuinely have his entire left side pressed against my right side as we did the pledge. He would often keep glancing at me and smiling at me as he would do it, sometimes leaning on me so much that I would almost topple over. But because of the design of the room as I explained before, this left the entire class behind us and with them all completely able to see this going on. It was because of this that I somehow justified it in my mind that maybe it was okay. I mean, if it was really a big deal, he wouldn't be doing it in front of the entire class like that, right? But it would continue to progress. The pledge thing became a daily occurrence and even though my friends thought it was weird, they really liked Mr. B. I mean, we had virtually no work in that class, so I just kept my thoughts to myself. He began having us do these really super basic posters because he said it needed some assignments to put in, and as we pushed the tables into groups of four, with everyone leaning over and working on them, he would slide his body against mine, completely pressed against me for way too long letting his hand linger on my lower back as he passed. Or sometimes while we sat in class watching all the videos, he would tend to pass me and stop behind me, resting his hand on top of my head for a moment and then running his fingers all through my hair before then returning to his seat. 
The first time he did that, I actually completely froze and whipped my head around in disbelief. But no one else noticed and he had this really weird smirk on his face. I had so much other stuff going on with me beyond that class with him that I didn't really think about it that much at first. But then Mr. B began staring me down in the hallway, to the point that my own twin commented on it before I even told her everything that had been happening. It was only when she said that when I told her everything. She agreed that what he was doing wasn't right and that she got bad vibes from him as soon as she saw the way he looked at me. But the looks in the hall or even the touching in class wouldn't have made me post this here. It's when I began seeing him more outside of school that he caught more of my attention. So, I worked at a gas station by myself after school, right down the road from the high school, and often until close, and I would also be there on the weekends. As I said, I talked to a few of my friends in the class, and I think this is how he found out so much about me. On the very same day that my job got brought up during class, Mr. B showed up at my gas station later that afternoon, filling up his pump. As the bell chimed when he strutted in the gas station, he smiled wickedly at me from over the counter and asked me a ton of questions. How I liked working there, if it was safe, if I got asked out a lot, etc. I frowned at the latter question and I told him honestly that a lot of creepy men were constantly hitting on me. I unblinkingly stared at him for a moment trying to get my point across, but he didn't notice. He was full on leaning over the counter with his elbows on the counter looking at me when one of my regulars then walked in. He immediately straightened and he told me he'd see me tomorrow. My regular approached with raised eyebrows in question as I just rolled my eyes as he asked. Um, an admirer? I snort in reply flatly. Uh, no, he's my teacher. To which the guy makes a pain face and wags a finger at me as he says. You be good now. You don't want anyone losing a job for you. Before I can reply something snarky back, he walks out laughing. Mr. B began to frequent the gas station pretty much weekly, and he would stare at me shamelessly with that same smirk every time. He would ask me about college, where I was going, what I wanted to do, pretty normal questions. He would also brag to me about how much he loved playing guitar, and that sometime I should check out his band, and that it seemed like my type of music. And every time he came in, he would look to the left, then to the right, stare down at me, and then dramatically ask, Do you know all the things that could happen to you alone in here? I would assure him that I was safe and that I had a baseball bat and a panic button, to which he'd just shake his head and then say, That wouldn't stop me if I really wanted someone. He would come so frequently that one point during the weekend, one evening my stepmother was there, unbeknownst to him, and he then came in and said something like, do you know just how much trouble a girl like you could cause a grown man? And then referencing the song playing on the radio, he added, You make a grown man cry. To which my stepmother stepped out of the back and snapped, Um, excuse me? What does my daughter do to grown men? To which he paled and stumbled over his words apologizing and said that she misheard him. And without further explanation, he then left giving me a look. My stepmother badgered me about it until I explained that he was one of my teachers, and she got a really serious look, then asking, Really, Vic? Your teachers too? To which I quickly said back, I don't know what to tell you. He's the only one who hits on me, and the topic was dropped from there. When Monday came, Mr. B had asked me if that was really my stepmom, to which I then said yes, 
and he laughed and said out loud enough for the whole class to hear. Not a great first impression, I have to admit. Things just continued to progress throughout the year. Seniors got out close to a month before the rest of the school, so with only a few days left, I was really enjoying the time I had left with my friends in that class, especially since they wouldn't be graduating yet. To get my scholarship, I had to do community service hours, and one thing I did towards earning those hours was being the captain of a Relay for Life team. I didn't make the shirts, but because my shirt had captain with my last name on it, Mr. B began darkly saying, Oh captain, my captain, anytime I passed him, and he'd laugh. I was selling baked goods with my team at a small motorcycle festival in my town. It had monthly car shows and alike that we'd do this at, so I mean, it's not really as weird as it sounds. Anyway, at my last event, there was Mr. B with a group of four other men looking to be around his age. He was holding a beer and was staring at me before I noticed him. They all began blatantly calling out for me, and Mr. B just smirked and watched me. The rest of the day, he and his friends just stared at us, and when my friend and I had to go get change, he and his friends were just staring us down like prey, loudly hooting and laughing. I turned to see them all with eyes trained on us, Mr. B with the same wicked look. On our way back with the change, he ushered me over, but with it getting dark and him being with a group of men that I didn't even know, I just blatantly shook my head no and kept glancing back as I headed back to my stand. I could hear them all laughing so hard at that. It was finally my last day of high school a few days later, so I was really elated to finally be free. I'm going through my shift after my last day of class on autopilot when I then hear the sound of a motorcycle engine. I had been restocking the shelves when I heard it. Now, I had a crush on one of my customers who rode a bike, so I immediately got excited thinking it was him. My face must have dropped dramatically as Mr. B then walked in, only feet away from me. Jesus, Victoria. Just because I'm not your teacher anymore doesn't mean you should look so sad. I just shake my head embarrassedly, apologizing, hoping someone else will walk into the gas station to diffuse the awkwardness of this conversation. I try to scurry around him to get behind the counter, but he steps in my way and actually reaches towards my face pulling on my head to try to make eye contact with him. I step backwards, almost falling into the shelving as I do. Mr. B instantly stumbles forward and practically knocks me over, pretending to catch his balance as he grips me and holds me to him. He holds me there for a moment as I push away, trying to get him off. Mr. B is easily almost a foot taller than me, and he then smiles down at me, then saying, Not so tough without those killer heels on, huh, little girl? It's when he asks that that I can practically see unsurety of what to do next across his face. He pulls me back and studies me, and as cowardly as it sounds, I'm frozen in place, unable to pull away. He moves his hands from my wrist up to my shoulders, and then lightly shaking me and whispering, Really bad things will happen to a girl like you in a situation like this. And with that, he lightly pushes me back, and I scurry back over to my counter. And after a really long silence of watching me, he laughs and leans over the counter again and finally orders $1.69 worth of gas onto a pump, even though he's not even pulled up to it. And as I hand him the receipt, he holds onto my hand, not letting go. He then says, My first name is Ryan. If you ever want to message me on Facebook, 
we could listen to music and have some fun. And you, he says, looking me up and down. Be safe, Captain Red. You never know what can happen. He laughs again and actually squeezes my hand before walking out and revving up his bike. He looks at me through the glass door and actually has the audacity to blow me a kiss. He never got the gas. I was really afraid that wouldn't be the last of him, but it was. He came off and on during the summer before I left, but I worked the evenings and we were so busy we actually had two people working at a time, so he never said anything provocative ever again. Looking back, I really wish I would have said something, but so many people liked him and as I said before, he would make it seem okay by doing it in front of the class. He only focused his attention on me in that class and I don't know why. I wasn't even the best looking girl in the class. I haven't been back to that area since I moved for college a few years ago and I really don't know if I'll ever go back because I met so many creepy people there. From what I've been told, he never went to that gas station again after I stopped working there. I know this doesn't sound that bad, but when it becomes something that I had to stress about every single day, and then seeing him randomly at work and elsewhere, it just, it becomes unreal. So Mr. B, I really hope you never did that to anyone else. Please keep your hands to yourself, and seriously, I never ever want to see you again. The story is told from the perspective of a male. Back when I was a sophomore in college at a college in Ohio, my friend and I were invited to a girl's house to drink a few cold ones. We weren't old enough to go to the bars yet, so we had said why not and then headed over. I should mention that back in the neighborhoods behind campus where the majority of students live is really notorious for people getting jumped and mugged late at night. However, my friend and I were in really great shape and we were the typical college meatheads so we didn't really worry about this too much. Anyways, we get there with our typical 24-pack of Natty Light and see there are four girls but no guys sitting on the front porch. Pretty good ratio if you ask me. We threw our beers in the fridge inside and then joined them on the front porch. The beer was flowing nicely that night and we were all having a really great laugh. It was really shaping up to be a really great night. It had been about two hours and I was pretty buzzed but I wanted to keep it going. I announced that I was going inside to grab another beer and my friend said he would go with me. I can't really remember what we had said inside, probably just who we wanted to take home for the night, but we were literally inside for not more than like 30 seconds. We step outside and literally all four of the girls are all crying. One of them was laying down by the sidewalk. We asked them what happened and they had then indicated that about four guys with their face covered had actually ran up on them and robbed them. They apparently had airsoft guns and when one of the girls wouldn't give her purse, they dragged her down the steps until she let go of it. My friend and I were so pissed off that this happened right under our noses. These guys must have been hiding and watching us for a really long time and were waiting for the right opportunity to have the girls alone. I can't really say how this would have gone if we were on the porch when this had occurred but I'm sure there would have been a fight. The cops are called and they took all our statements, but of course never heard any follow-up. The girls all canceled their cards shortly afterwards and they had to get new everything, which is a real pain in the ass. A lesson learned with this is to never leave females alone late at night in that kind of environment. I actually got my own sister pepper spray and a stun gun when she went off to college, 
just so something like this never happens to her. So did the four cowards who waited till I went inside to attack the women. Be very glad we never met. Hey everyone, this episode has been sponsored by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get fresh pre-seasoned ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. And that's why it's America's number one meal kit. Enjoy a wide variety of easy, delicious options for all three meals a day, plus every snack and special treat in between within the HelloFresh market. HelloFresh's high-quality fresh ingredients are sourced directly from growers and delivered from the farm to your front door in under a week. Contact-free, of course. I love HelloFresh personally because it just really comes in handy on nights where I just don't really feel like cooking, especially on nights when I'm just getting home from the gym. It just really makes things so much easier on me. Go to HelloFresh.com dinner14 and use code dinner14 for up to 14 free meals plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash Dinner14 and use code Dinner14 for up to 14 free meals plus free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Alright everyone, let's get back into the stories. For some context, I'm a 23 year old female but at the time of this story I was 19 years old and in my second semester of college. The college that I went to was in Monterey Bay, California. It was a big campus, but most of the students were all spread out throughout the buildings. At the time, I lived on campus in the dorms that were located in the middle of campus where all the freshmen lived. I had just finished my anthropology class with my friend and we were walking back to our dorms. She lived in the hall right across from mine. They were separated by two doors and stairs on the third floor, so eventually we would split off. Each door can only be unlocked with the student ID of those who live in the building. This is important for later. We were approaching our building when a man had started yelling for us to stop. We waited, but we had kept an eye on him while we watched him approach. I'm a bit of an uneasy person whenever I meet new people, so I always size up people that I meet. This man was slender and short, but slightly taller than me, with dark messy brown hair and black circles under his eyes. He seemed off to me, so I remained cautious. He didn't have any books or a backpack on him, but he was holding a clipboard with a pencil. He started saying that he was approaching girls with a study he was conducting that when someone is experiencing a loss, they can then feel better when they get the numbers of pretty women. Now, I'm a psychology major, so I kind of just laughed it off in my head. We both said sorry and no thanks, but he kept on persisting. Again, we said no, but this time we actually mentioned that we both had boyfriends, so we didn't feel okay about it. I turned away a bit slower than my friend. As we began to walk away, his face turned to anger, and he actually reached to grab my friend's arm. Now, the thing to know here is not only am I uneasy around strangers, but anytime I go anywhere, I always have a pocket knife on me. It didn't take me very long to flick it out at the guy when I then stood in between him and my friend. The surprised look on his face told me that he didn't expect one of us to get defensive about him grabbing us, but he still just stood there watching me. I then told my friend to run to the stairs. It didn't take her long to get to the top, and she had her keycard fully ready to unlock her door. I told him if he followed either of us, I wouldn't hesitate to use my knife on him. 
I slowly backed away and then bolted up the stairs. He took a few steps towards the stairs, but I had my cart out and I was already inside the hall before he could do anything, and so was my friend. When I finally got into my dorm room, I slid down my door and then just shook for about 15 minutes. I eventually made my way to class and I explained everything that happened to my professor. She told me to email my RA and have my friend do the same. After class was over, I went straight to my room and sent the email. My friends and I decided from that day on that we would always walk together everywhere. Nobody went anywhere alone. Two days later, there was a school-wide email alert. The guy that had confronted us wasn't even a student at all. He had apparently been stalking girls to their dorms and then trying to get into their rooms. University police were looking for him, but to my knowledge, he was never found. I never went anywhere on campus alone without a knife, and my friend got pepper spray so that if I wasn't there, she had something to defend herself. I don't want to even imagine what would have happened if I wasn't prepared, or if either of us was alone. I just don't want to think about it. This happened when I was in college. It was a warm Sunday evening in June and my friend Joanne and I decided to go for a walk. We had seen a play on campus the night before, Saturday, and a friend of ours named Lee was supposed to be attending the performance that night on Sunday. Since we had already seen the production, we knew what time it was ending and we hoped to surprise Lee. But we waited and waited and he never came out. It turned out that something had came up and he had not gone to the show after all. Disappointed, we started back home. We walked up this hill from the theater and as we turned around the corner, we noticed a college-aged white guy in a white t-shirt and blue jeans leaning against a tree. It definitely looked suspicious because this was 10.30 at night. As we passed by that guy in the tree, the guy started following us. We sort of tensed up, not really sure what to do. Since it was summer, the college was hosting a cheerleading camp for high school girls. A large group of cheerleaders was coming back from some event and they were not very far ahead of us. I suggested to Joanne that we follow those girls to the dorm they were staying in, wait there for a few minutes until this guy left, and then we could head on back to our dorm. We stayed at the cheerleaders dorm until we were sure the guy must be gone, then we headed out. When we started up the hill going toward our dorm, we looked back and we realized to our horror, the guy had waited for us and he was now following us yet again. We started to panic, not knowing what to do. There was a part of our walk where we had to pass by dorms which were unoccupied since it was summer. If he was still following us at that point, there would be no one who could hear us or see us and who knows what he would have done to us then. We had no choice though. We had to go by that deserted area in order to get back to our dorm. It was at that point that I remembered a TV show that I had seen on Friday just two days before where a police officer shared what to do if you're ever being followed. He said that what the perpetrator is counting on is the element of surprise. So if you're being followed, you should then turn around so you're directly facing them, plant your feet firmly, and just stare hard at them. It lets the person know that you're very aware of them and that you're standing your ground. And that's exactly what I did. I spun around, crossed my arms with my feet firmly planted, and stared hard at the guy. Amazingly, it actually worked. The guy stopped, not knowing what to do, then gradually backed off, finally turning around and then leaving. I stayed where I was until he was finally out of sight. 
Then Joanne and I ran as fast as we could until we were finally safely back in our dorm. We didn't go for any late night walks after that. I thank God that I had seen that program two days before. It really saved us from God knows what. For some background, my grandma used to live in the countryside, and this takes place when I was around 9 or 10 years old. I'm now 15. My favorite part about going to her house was exploring all the woods and walking down the really long country road. It was winter, so the sun had went down really early. One of the few times I went there, I decided to go for a nighttime walk. I walked further than I usually did, and I came across a house that was, well, abandoned. I sat there for a good five minutes, trying to decide if I wanted to go in or not. Eventually, I decided to go in. When I got inside, there was nothing special, just pieces of broken house and furniture all around the floor. I heard no noise, so I decided to continue through the house. I eventually came across a room that I was about to enter, until I saw about five or six people standing around what looked like a dead rabbit in the middle of a circle that looked to be drawn with something dark, which I guess now was blood, but I'm not really sure. They were all wearing hoods, but not your stereotypical robe but instead, they were just wearing sweatshirts with the hoods up. Hoodies, basically. They didn't see me, and before they could, I ran out of the house and ran all the way home. I have no idea what they were really doing, but it scared the fuck out of me, and I'm just really glad I got out of there when I did. This happened around 19 years ago, long before cell phones were a daily necessity. I'm female, and I grew up in a small town in North Sweden. Having parents who were very religious, me and my siblings had to attend meetings every Sunday and Wednesday. We were born into a large group of extremely religious people, not allowed to have flowers, pictures on the walls, radio, or even TV. They never attended the Swedish church's meetings themselves because they felt themselves to have, as they called it, the only real belief and even called the Swedish Church Society harlots. Women are forced to have long hair and cover it with headscarves. When they eventually grow up, they're forced into a marriage and to produce as many children as possible, always being available for breeding. Many of these women are putting their lives in danger because their bodies just aren't able to always be pregnant and giving birth like that. When I was in elementary school, I also had teachers who were in the same religious society. They tended to keep a close watch on me and the fellow students, who also belonged to the religious society. We were forbidden to attend dance classes and music classes, always forcing us during field days to go cross-country skiing instead of making our own choices for the fun day out. I really, really hated all the cross-country skiing, and I ended up with huge blisters that would take a really long time to heal after going out skiing. When I was around eight years old, my parents agreed that they wanted a divorce. They just couldn't live being watched and judged all the time. Now, for us children, this was the best thing to ever happen to us. Our parents were much happier and they actually got along very well. They actually both agreed to leave the religious society and start living a happier life. Well, the others in the society really didn't like that and they suddenly turned on us. It started with annoying phone calls that soon escalated into much worse. They would call us on the home phone anytime, day or night. They would threaten and insult us and tell us we would end up in hell and other crazy things. In school, my teacher started to call me and my siblings from classes to interrogate us. 
asking if our mother had different men in her bed, if we went to the movies, theater, and things like that. Now, because they did that to us in class, we ended up with an invalid absence and got bad grades. A lot of my other classmates saw that something was odd about this, and they started to bully me. They even started beating and kicking me, making a sport of it. And as you can imagine, the teachers never did anything to stop it. The society members started verbally attacking my mother every time outside, always screaming and calling her bad things amongst other things, and making a shame of her. They once even forced themselves into our home, Bible in hand, screaming that we were sinners and were going to hell. They even had a notebook, writing down all the sinful things that we had in our home. We actually bought our very first TV when I was 12 years old. During this time, I started to get very ill. I hardly slept and I was pretty much scared all the time. I also started to develop aphasia. I got something called snowy vision and I even had to get new glasses like every six months because my vision changed so much. I would get really mad and get a lot of panic attacks. During this hard time, I had started to notice that there was something very wrong with my then four-year-old brother. He started to get very inverted and talking about really strange things. One time me and my mother found him sitting on the floor in his room swinging around, talking about him not being able to have children when he gets older because he was watching our mom's TV. It turned out that four of the society's elders had actually picked him up without our knowledge several times a week, locking themselves in a room with him and systematically trying to brainwash him. He actually almost developed a child psychosis. My mother and father succeeded to stop this in time and they were able to make him understand that what they were doing was wrong. We're both grown up now and my brother has a good job and a family today. My own situation didn't really improve though as they tried to interfere with my marriage. Someone actually went to my father-in-law trying to put an end to my marriage because my then husband wasn't a society member. I'm currently divorced but that's a whole different story. I actually got married when I was 18 years old and I had my eldest son six months later. When I was in the hospital just giving birth to him, Sitting in my room feeding him and listening to the radio, a woman burst in the room then screaming and trying to turn off the radio. She forbid my best friend who was a guy to come visit me. She even had the audacity to physically push my parents out the door when they came to visit their firstborn grandchild. She didn't even work at the hospital. I was so mad and terrified. It's been almost 18 years now since I had my first child and a lot has happened in my life. I ended up developing multiple sclerosis because of all the constant beating and stress that I was exposed to during so many years. Today I now realize that this was really just a cult and I would never go back to that nor force my own children into that horrible life. I do have some friends who are still in the cult but they actually accept me not being one of them. I still see some of my old teachers and some of the other members who tormented me and my family but I don't interact with them at all. I hold my head up high and I show them that I really enjoy my new free life today, despite my MS. I really am grateful that I escaped that hell. A little background. I'm 22 years old. The people in this story are somewhere in their late 20s and early 30s, but they would constantly change their ages, last names, and their jobs when I asked. My friend was 28. So this is mostly ended but this was ongoing for about a half a year. Due to a really shitty life situation, I had a really terrible breakup with the guy I'd been living with and I was really raw. 
So I had moved into an apartment with a friend who was really cool about it, but never home. She always had guests though, and they were incredibly deeply terrible and weird. The very first thing that her boyfriend said to me after meeting him was that I should never trust anyone, especially him. Okay, weird. But then he started hitting on me. My friend would sort of watch this in a really weird way as if she was jealous, but I kind of got this weird feeling that she wasn't. He was really oddly charismatic and he was the type that would get away with saying anything. My friend was the quiet confident type and she'd flirt with me on occasion too. It was really weird but I figured that they were just poly or something. They came on strong but I've always been the accepting type so I didn't really care. A little over a month in, I couldn't move out and we had really started to get in trouble. Her boyfriend started threatening me and literally following me everywhere including the bathroom. I'm starting to really freak out at this point, so my friend agrees to stay home. But then she starts staying home almost all the time. My friend then kind of fake rants about him to me, and she invites a completely new friend that I've never met to help us. They do this weird thing where they start to comfort me in front of him. He just sits in the corner as they start to hug me and tell me how awful he is, and then how great I am. I keep asking them to make him leave, but they just keep giving me excuses that seem really off to me. I also didn't have a job and I wasn't on the lease, yet the boyfriend and her friend were, but they didn't live there. Something that I really hated was that they were almost charmingly dishonest. They seemed like they were weirdly busy, and if I asked for personal details, they just kept changing the story. Her boyfriend literally said that he was a doctor, a judge, a cop, an actor, and even a lawyer at some point. My friend's friends seemed more like his friend, and they'd always be his co-worker slash assistant, or occasionally boss, whenever they changed the story. My friend had a really rich family to rely on, so I'm pretty sure that she quit her regular job, but she would often make up stories about their jobs too. Whenever they would leave, they would never say where, and they would always keep their phones hidden. By three months, the boyfriend and her friend are pretty much there every day. My friend is there sometimes, but she makes it seem like I've offended her. I was still unable to find work then, so I felt pretty bad. Still though, her boyfriend and her friend were constantly asking me questions, having me explain everything, and being oddly rude but in very sweet kind of ways. I'm really sorry to say, but I actually fell for a lot of it. They even decided to give me two nicknames, Beautiful and Gullible. They tell really weird and pointless lies. They were with me 24-7 all day every day. If I ever looked at my phone, they did too. If I went to go shower, they kept opening the door. Both of them. They're still acting really nice though and telling me how great I am. And they actually even all told me that they loved me at some point. They had also started saying that we're angels. Literally all of them tried to be romantic with me and everyone started to kind of feel like authority figures. They were all really great talkers, not to mention they were older than me. Well, about four months in, I had gotten pretty used to the lack of privacy and boundaries. I would just keep saying it's temporary. My friend and her friends keep switching from nice to really terrible. At this point, they're literally sleeping in the same room as me. I would even wake up to them occasionally having sex. They even started waking me up randomly multiple times a night to do random tasks. My friend's boyfriend starts talking about how they're not really together anymore and about how I'm so great for him and blah blah blah. 
It's not too long before he starts telling me I'm the one and everything, and unfortunately, he was really easy to fall for. The whole time I was there, he was literally the only one I was ever alone with. I wasn't ever even alone with my friend. Even worse, I'm really strangely good at meshing with other people, so I really fit everyone really nicely. And I mean, when her boyfriend was actually being great, he was really great and would actually align really nicely. Because of this, I think I actually started to really believe his bullshit. Well, about five months in, all hell breaks loose. They stopped calling me by my name entirely and only called me gullible. Her boyfriend became really erratic after the first time I rejected him. They started creating planned drama to ambush me with. I'd even overhear them coming up with literal plans for the next day if I pretended to sleep. They were all really good at talking in weird loops and strange phrases. They would say things like, We're demons. You're a demon. We're terrible people. Be gullible. We are beautiful. And I have trust issues. They'd constantly ask me weird questions like, Who are you? And are you keeping secrets from us? over and over again until I'd answer. They also started recording me and trying to get me to embarrass myself in any way possible. They wouldn't let me leave and I was always exhausted all the time. They tried to convince me that I was jealous of everyone around me, that I was a homewrecker, that I was someone else entirely, that I hated all minorities of any kind, that I was a prostitute, and that I was even secretly a pedophile. The accusations and explanations were pretty much constant. They'd corner me into everything, and then openly take note of my reaction to absolutely everything. I started trying to escape them, but they kept telling me they had information on me that they'd send to everyone. I started getting the feeling everyone had heavy blackmail on each other. Well, six months in, they threatened me. They called a friend over to scare me. He actually pretended to be a sex trafficker. I really started to freak out, and I threatened to call the police. Everyone really started to change then. I had no energy. They started recording me, following me to the shower, trying to seduce me constantly, making me afraid to eat. They even tried to convince me that they had someone impersonate me to doctor evidence against me, then threatening me if I told anyone anything. Their very random drama got incredibly elaborate. They'd invite their friends over to pretty much humiliate and trick me over anything. I'd never even know anybody's name. Literal strangers would watch me sleep. They'd attempt to convince me of absolutely anything, and they'd coordinate attacks to get a specific reaction out of me. There were at least eight people involved. A few times, they figured out how to get me to go into huge fits of rage, where I'd then threaten them and have a full freakout. They recorded them and kept asking if I wished for retribution. If I hurt or embarrassed them in any way, they'd say that that must be their atonement and catharsis. They'd repeat my secrets back to me, and by then, I'd actually given in to a few regrettable demands, and they'd remind me of them. They kept suggesting that in some way they created me, and that I was in their dream, or I was a character in their plot. When I'd finally reached my breaking point, they'd get terrifyingly sweet with me. They'd pretend that they were helping me get repressed emotions out, or giving me some sort of therapy. I even believed it out of exhaustion. Her boyfriend, who seemed to be the leader most of the time, started telling me that I was finally becoming beautiful. But the second I rejected his advances, the abuse started full force. They once again kept asking me if I wanted retribution, 
It was like they had unlimited time and energy, and I was always exhausted and in pain. I started to notice that their weird code words were actually working. I'd get an emotion or desire from them that I think was just too much. One night I just snapped and I couldn't think. I just didn't care anymore. Nothing else mattered to me and I just walked out with less than shoes. I walked shoeless to my ex's parents' house and he thankfully came to pick me up that night. So I guess for the time being, I live with my ex again. It's been less than a month, but very oddly, I just can't stop laughing about the whole ordeal. It really isn't funny to me, but I just can't have a normal reaction to it. There's a lot I left out, so it's probably a bit rush sounding. But I guess for now, this is all I got. I went through literal hell, and I just really don't know what to do anymore. Maybe you guys can give me some advice. I'll be using an alias for this story. My name is T, or rather that's my nickname. For some background, there was about three other people that I was with at the time. I'll call them Jason, Tori, and Rachel. There happens to be woods that are in my local park that you can walk around. It has trails and sightseeing parts. This was the night that we decided to stray away from the main trail. This took place last June, June of 2020 to be exact. My friends and I had gotten very bored one evening while we were on FaceTime. We'd already really been sick of the pandemic and we wanted to go outside to do something together. Jason suggested that we go to the park that was only a few blocks away from my house and then hang out there. It sounded like a good idea, so all of us decided to meet up there at 10pm. Well, about 9.50 rolls around and I had already gotten to the park and I was waiting there with Tori. 15 minutes later, Rachel then shows up with Jason. Looking back at it now, going into the woods at night was already really dumb, but nevertheless, we did it. I'd like to say that about 20 more minutes passed before I decided to go off trail to do some exploring. Jason and I were the only ones with flashlights, so we led the way. I think we must have been walking around for at least another hour before I saw another light. This is the part that I remember in extreme detail so I'll try to do my best to describe it. I was in front of everyone, Jason standing behind me to the left, Tori was on my right, and Rachel was hanging on to my back. I had my light pointed forward and I started to scan it all around the surrounding trees. Moving from left to right, I spotted what looked like to be a clearing in the trees. Jason then pointed his light to the left and nudged me in the shoulder. We all looked in that direction and we had noticed a person standing in between two fir trees. They looked to be male, possibly 17 or 18 years old, but the shadows had covered their face too much. Knowing that we weren't alone outside anymore, I started to take a step back towards Rachel. I'm not gonna lie, at this point I was totally scared shitless. Jason and Tori told me that we should go see where the person went because maybe there was some sort of party we could crash. I shook my head no, and I told them that if there was really a party, we would be able to hear it. While we were whispering, arguing over if we should leave or not, Tori fell silent. She grabbed my head and she turned me around towards the clearing that had been in my back. Look, she said. I saw what she was looking at and I clicked my light off. There were about 15 to 20 people standing in the clearing just watching us. Tori, Rachel, and Jason all started to scream and I yelled for them to run. 
At some point, we all got split up, and I was able to hear two pairs of footsteps trailing behind me. I ran for maybe five minutes before I dove into a bush to try and hide. While in the bush, I pulled my phone from my jacket pocket and then texted our group chat to ask if everyone was okay. While I was doing so, I heard the two people who I now knew were men walk around the area then right back into the woods. I got into the bush and then sprinted as fast as I could back to the tree line and then to the park. My friends were passing around when I got out and grabbed my arms, dragging me away. We eventually got back to the main road that led into the park, and I was told that evidently the only two people that broke off to chase us were the two men. After a while of us all catching our breath and calming down, we came to the conclusion that there was some sort of cult in the woods that night, and I must say, if their goal was to scare a few teenagers so badly they cried, it worked pretty damn well. This happened about four years ago. I was 20 years old at the time. The first time I met the guy who had become my grocery store stalker, he was standing outside the store collecting money for the Salvation Army's Christmas time donations. I'm a fairly friendly person, so I like to say hi to people who work at places I frequent just to be nice. This guy was a kid around my age, very tall, with a mild resemblance to Lurch from the Adams family. Dark circles under dark eyes, short black hair, and a kind of vacant look in his eyes. I chatted with him for maybe about two minutes, kind of just idle chit-chat about the weather and whatnot. Nothing particularly memorable or interesting. I then waved goodbye and went home. Little did I know that that single moment would be the start of something that would have me genuinely afraid. About four or five months passed and I hadn't seen him again. Then one day as I was grocery shopping with a friend when, as we were chatting, she suddenly got really quiet and kind of recoiled backwards, then looking behind me. I turned around to see this guy who had to be at least six foot four, towering over me, not eight inches from my body. He said hi and he told me that he remembered from that December that I had talked to him, and then asked for my number. I, being young and had never really experienced this type of interaction before, told him that I didn't have my number memorized but that I would write his down and then maybe text him later. I kinda half waved my phone at him pointing at my at the time boyfriend whose picture was my wallpaper, making a point to say, oh look that's my boyfriend, to the guy hoping he would clue in, but no luck. He told me his number which immediately upon getting I blocked without letting him get my number. However, what really made my blood run cold was what he said to me after I put my phone away. He leaned in real close to me and in a really low voice then told me, Whatever I text you is for your eyes only. I start to feel genuinely uncomfortable at this point. I said back, Uh, yeah, sure. It was nice talking to you, but we gotta get back to shopping. And I grabbed my friend and dragged her off, shooting a panicked look at her and asking her why she didn't bail me out. Apparently he scared her too with him getting so close to me, and she just didn't know what to do. I also want to make it clear that I'm not exactly a small girl. I'm 5'8 and solidly built. I can certainly handle myself, and I very rarely ever feel intimidated or small in the presence of anyone, male or female. But this guy, he really made me feel tiny and scared. In the months that would follow, he would make me feel truly frightened. I had really hoped that that creepy interaction would be the last time I saw him, but unfortunately that wasn't the case. After that initial meeting with him saying that creepy thing about his text being for my eyes only, 
It seemed like I would run into him every single time that I got into the store, no matter what checkout lane I was in. He always seemed to appear at the end of it when I was finished shopping, and every time I was in the store, I would always notice him out of the corner of my eye watching me, no matter what area I was in. One time I even caught him following me out to my car. At that point I got scared and I finally decided to say something to the managers. After letting all the managers know what was going on, they then assured me that they would tell him not to talk to me. After that, he wouldn't speak to me, but I would continue to see him following me around the store at a distance every single time I went up there. It got so bad and I felt so terrified that I started to be afraid to go to the store at all. But I'm one of those stubborn people who refuses to be intimidated by someone to the point where I'll stop doing something. I had really hoped that maybe it was just a coincidence that he was following me. After all, it was a really big store, and maybe he just had things to do that just happened to be in the same area as I was shopping in so I started to pay close attention to my surroundings. Once I started really paying attention, I realized that every single time I was up there, I would constantly notice him in the same areas in the store that I was in. During my last encounter with him, I had went to the store to just grab two or three items that I needed for dinner that night, and I first saw him standing at the store when I got there, and with his bag facing me, I quickly ran inside, hoping he didn't see me. Unfortunately, a few minutes later, I had saw him at the very back of the store, and items in hand, I immediately made a beeline towards the front. As soon as I got near the checkout, I ducked behind one of the shelf displays and watched carefully at the front of the store to see if the creepy guy would appear. I watched as he looked up and down at the checkout, and when he didn't see me there, I saw him step outside. At this point, I quickly ran to the nearest open cashier, rang up all my items, and then stuck my head out the door to look for him. I didn't see him there immediately, so I started trying to make my way back to where I was parked. I had parked a little ways away near the side of the store where a bunch of other small stores and restaurants were lined up at, and I was walking towards my car. I realized then that I saw him standing by the entrance that I had first entered the store through, and then dug behind a pillar immediately, hoping he didn't see me. I watched carefully from behind the pillar, and as he scanned the parking lot, he obviously couldn't find me. After a minute or two, he started to walk out towards the direction of the parking lot in front of the store, and so I took that opportunity to make a run for it to my car as soon as that he was far enough away that I felt safe. As soon as I got into my car, I then locked the doors, and to my horror when I looked up, he was standing there about 15 feet from my car with a shopping cart in front of him. I knew that he followed me, and he knew that I knew. I fully believed that he had chased after me, and when I made it to my car, he grabbed the nearest cart to make it look like he was collecting them from the parking lot. I remember just feeling absolutely terrified at that moment. I went home and I immediately told my grandfather what had just happened. I began crying and shaking and my grandfather told me to get in the car. Well, we're going to settle this. He and I drove up to the store in his car and he walked me into the store and demanded we spoke with the managers immediately, both of them. When the managers arrived at customer service, he asked me to tell them what had been happening and demanded that they ensure he left me alone or that he would involve the police. The manager swore up and down they would take care of it. As far as I know, he wasn't fired immediately because my friend who first encountered him with me when this whole thing began told me that she would see him from time to time when she was there by herself, but that any time I went with her, she would never see him. I fully believed that he knew whenever I was there, only this time instead of stalking me, he avoided me. Eventually, everyone who knew the situation stopped seeing him there, so I think he may have gotten fired or moved on from that store. Either way, 
I haven't had any issues since, but I've never in my life felt so afraid of another human being as I did that day, seeing him make eye contact with me in the parking lot as I locked my car doors. It still really creeps me out to think that he was watching me so closely every time I entered the store that he could so easily avoid or follow me whenever he wanted. So yeah, I was stalked every time I went grocery shopping for four months straight, and I never want to experience that ever again. This happened when I was seven years old with my twin sister and mother. We had just entered our local grocery store, Surefine, when a man no more than 10 feet in front of us glanced over and immediately whipped his head back towards us. Now as a quick side note, my twin and I at that age were always dressed in matching dresses, and we had long blonde hair that had always got us looks of alls and affection, but this was different. He was a bulky middle-aged man of mid-eastern descent, and it stopped what he was doing to fully look at us up and down. A really husky smile crossed his scruffy face. My mother paid no mind to this, as she was no stranger to creepy men herself. I immediately grumbled to my twin Cass how creepy it was the way the man was looking at us. So as we turned left to start going through the aisles, Cass and I turned and we saw the man walking toward us with a shopping cart. When we first made eye contact, he immediately turned his attention to a table with baked goods on it, which kind of stood out to Cass and I more than if he had just kept walking normally. So my mother's obviously shopping and Cass and I just keep glancing back and we keep catching the man at the end of every aisle that we enter just staring with no expression on his face, and even from a slight distance, he was seemingly breathing like really weirdly. I also noticed that his cart continues to remain empty, except for the baked goods that he grabbed when we had first looked back at him. We tell my mother, but she just rolls her eyes at us and tells us that he probably thinks we're following him, because we keep looking at him. The man disappears as we hit the last of the aisles, and Cass and I are already on a completely different topic by now when we're heading for the registers, having almost completely forgotten about him within minutes. We're about to make it to the register when my sister asked my mom for a candy bar, and I quickly joined to which she then angrily replies that we don't have the money for it. We're both pouting at this point, and she threatens to leave us as she begins putting things on the conveyor belt. But then Cass and I watch my mother turn to face us again, when her expression completely changes and her eyes shift behind us. It's the man. He's sweating profusely at this point, and he's literally less than like a foot behind us. Cass and I immediately take a step forward towards our mother. The man laughs awkwardly, then apologizes, saying, Sorry ma'am, I didn't mean to scare you girls. You're all just so beautiful. These girls, are they yours? My mother kind of scoffs to this and then goes, Yeah, they're mine and he does that same awkward laugh again, then saying, I couldn't help but notice that you don't have the money to get them what they want. How old are they, and you as well? I could help you. I have lots of money. Money's no problem for me. My mother's face then furrows in confusion and annoyance, then snapping. Um, excuse me? Like clockwork, he laughs again like it's some big joke, then says, I'm serious, how much? My mother stares at him blankly for a moment, and he continues. How much for the girls? I'd like both of them, but if you could only part with one, I could still make that work. I'll give you the money. Just name your price, and I can give them anything they want. Any candy they want. 
He grins yet again and wipes his brow, looking down at us. My mother doesn't respond to him, just looks at us and growls, Here. Now. So we do as we were told, which was fine by us because we didn't want to be anywhere near this creepy man. The cashier was a teenage girl no older than 17, and she was just completely wide-eyed watching this conversation occur as she silently continues to scan our groceries. Once we were next to my mother, she then growls at the man. If you so much as lay one fucking finger on my kids, I'll break it off and shove it down your throat. Which were some pretty big words coming from my 4 foot 11 mother. But the man's face darkens, and without even purchasing anything, he walks around the cash register and exits, but he doesn't get far. The entire front of the store is glass, so moments later we watch as he presses his face against the glass trying to see in leaving a sweaty face print behind. Now, at this point, the cashier's alerting her manager and asking him to call the police. My mother immediately assures them that that's not necessary and just asks the manager to walk us out to her car. We see no sign of the man as we unload our groceries and hop into the car. My mother quickly drives us home once we sit in the car for a few minutes, scanning for any signs that he might be waiting in a car or something. We eventually made it home safely and nothing ever came of it. I don't know what happened to the man, but I truly hope he never convinced anyone to give him their kid. That's absolutely horrific to think about. This all happened 15 years ago. I was about 19 years old when I was offered a job by my cousin to work for our uncle's glass business. They install giant glass windows into tall buildings and skyscrapers. Not that it's too relevant to the story, but I thought it was worth mentioning. The catch to the job was that I had to temporarily move to Destin, Florida from Tampa. My cousin lived in Russellville, Alabama, and I really wanted to go visit the family there and leave with them together to go back down to Destin. Now, this was my first long-distance road trip, and my very first trip away from my immediate family. Back then, I was driving a green Mercury Sable, a car barely capable of getting groceries back home, but in my invincible youth, I didn't really care about that. I was just so pumped to be spreading my wings and getting out into the real world that the risks didn't really concern me. My mom and dad had tried to get me to plan and pack better, knowing the trip could have its pitfalls, but I mean, it wasn't like the trip was going to last days, and also fast food exists, so I wasn't really stressing out about that. I mean, I'm not stupid. I packed for the trip and I'm going to be staying there for a few months in Destin, but they were really adamant on me bringing food, water, emergency supplies, etc. I declined because it wasn't the 1930s and of course there's gas stations at every exit and I had a Razor flip phone. My way of thinking was what could possibly happen on two busy interstates. It wasn't like I was going to some far off country with no cell service. Anyways, fast forward to the trip. I'm a Florida boy, so I had no idea Alabama could get so cold, and I also had no idea that the heat was broken in my car. I had never really used it. At first I'm thankful because by the time I reach Alabama, I'm tired as hell, and I had made a lot more stops than I anticipated. I still had a few hours to go, and the cold air was keeping me wide awake. Finally I pull off the interstate and I start heading through these smaller numbered roads. The roads didn't really have conventional names like in Florida. They were just numbered, which I kind of found odd. After driving on those a bit, I started being sent down gravel roads. 
This was the days of MapQuest, so I didn't have a GPS guiding me through the just paved roads or rerouting me around roadblocks. I was starting to get really hungry and I thought back to my parents telling me to pack food. I really should have listened. The sketchiest thing with MapQuest was that you just printed out the directions, so you didn't really have a map to fall back on. So going out of your way to find fast food at an exit came with the potential of legitimately getting lost. So I had basically passed a few times to turn off for food because I was tired and I just didn't want to chance it. Instead, however, I was looking for something off the side of the road that I could easily pull in and then back out with no fuss. But more importantly, no risk of getting lost. My prayers were answered a little down the road when I saw a beat up old country grocery store on my right hand side. It didn't even have a name, it just said grocery right across the front of the white building. I pulled in because the light shining across the grocery sign was on, but found it odd that most of the lights inside were off. I'm not gonna lie, this gave me the creeps a little, but it didn't stop me from going up to the door. I was really starving and maybe this was a 24 hour place, but I wasn't sure. I saw a shadow move across the back of the long aisles as I approached the glass door and surprisingly opened it with ease. At this point, I was honestly half expecting them to be closed due to the lack of lighting inside, and I was really hoping that the owner would take pity on a tired traveler and let me grab some snacks. I then called out, Hello? Anyone here? No one answered. I then said something along the lines of, I saw you when I pulled up and I was hoping you're still open. Again, no answer. Now, this was really naive of me, but I assumed that maybe the owner was just older or something and maybe he couldn't hear me, or that maybe he was deaf, so I went further back into the store. It honestly didn't really smell that great inside there, and I had hoped that they had at least had some chips or something. At least those are sealed. Suddenly a man emerged from the back. Oh, I'm so sorry. We were just about to close. How can I help you? He asked with a smile. He clearly made me jump out of my skin at first, but he seemed friendly enough. Not the old man I was picturing before, but actually a much younger guy. Maybe in his 30s. Yeah, I just came up from Florida. It's been a long drive. I was kind of hoping you guys had something to eat for the trip. Oh, we have plenty. What are you looking for exactly? He said without taking his eyes off me. The guy had a really weird unblinking stare that just really put me on edge. But what made me the most uncomfortable was his smile. He smiled big but his eyes never moved. As in the only way you could tell he was conveying an emotion was by looking at his mouth. The rest of his face stayed the same. Most people you could tell they're smiling even if their mouth was covered. Because you smile with your whole face. But not this guy. Yeah, I just wanted some chips, maybe a Coke. Do you have any Doritos? Of course, he said, walking past me. He locked the door behind me before turning and smiling. I don't want anyone else walking in, he chuckled. Him locking the door was really creepy, but I just shrugged it off because the reasoning was pretty sound, even though it felt off. Follow me, the guy said as he walked towards the back of the store. I was young, but I really should have been smart enough to know that the store owners generally don't give customers a tour of the store, but I had lived a pretty sheltered life. I could feel that something was off, but I didn't want to offend him by asking questions like, what's that smell, and other things. 
We get to the back of the store to where those plastic flaps hang that separate the customer side and the back end. When the man sticks his hand through, parting through the plastic, then saying, Right this way. Now alarm bells are starting to go off in my head, especially as he starts looking around and past me like someone who's selling drugs and trying to watch out for the police. Uh, back there? I ask and start to back up a little. That's when I then notice chips right beside me on the aisle. The guy noticed me see the chips and then says, Yeah, back here. We got all our good stuff in the back. You can come take your pick. By this time, I had found the source of the buzzing. Flies are flying over the meat section, and the dim light that's reflecting off the packaging lets me know that it's been sitting there a while. I'll just take this if that's alright. I say nervously as I grab a bag off the shelf next to me and then start backing up towards the door. Trust me, those are no good. I have way better stuff back here. He smiles again, gesturing for me to head back. I fake pat my pockets, then saying, Oh man, I think I forgot my wallet in my car. I'll be right back. As soon as the words left my lips, I then spun around and did a light jog to the front, increasing with speed as I approached the door. I make it to the door and twist the lock a couple times until I hear the click. I push the door open and turn back to look at where the man is, but he's gone. I jumped into that car and sped the fuck out of that parking lot and didn't stop again until I reached my cousin's house. This was by far one of the eeriest and creepiest things that have ever happened to me. So before I start, I'd like to give a couple of details about myself. At the time of this story, I just finished my 6th grade year and I was very athletic and took runs every day. This encounter occurred in the summer, and what comes with summer? Heat. So instead of running in the day whenever it was hotter, I began running in the evening when the sun was down. On the day of the encounter, I followed my normal routine. I had told my mom that I was going to start my run, then began listening to my music on my iPod shuffle. Now the way my neighborhood works is there's only one entrance, which doubles as the only exit as well. I live in a suburban area, so the main road that passes the entrance to my neighborhood isn't very busy, but it's not empty either. On the day, I was running down the main road of my neighborhood that all the small streets branch off of. I was close to the entrance and I could clearly see all of the cars passing by. I remember watching this gray Honda car slam on its brakes at the entrance of my neighborhood. This was done so fast and so hard that I actually heard the tire squeal over the song I was listening to, which was at full volume. I kind of just brushed it off as someone following directions that had most likely just nearly missed my neighborhood's entrance. The car then began up the road I was running on, going extremely slow, at least 10 miles an hour under the speed limit. I could make out about three shadows in the car through the darkness, and just a little bit of light from the house's porch lights. There was two at the front of the car and someone in the back seat. As I passed the car, I saw that the driver's side window was down. I gave the car a smile and a wave as I had turned down a small street that branched off the road I was running on. Now, I remember feeling extremely on edge, so I checked over my shoulder. I saw the car turn around in the middle of the road and then slowly turn down the street I was running on. Once again, I just chalked it up to misinterpreting directions and try not to think too much about it, but I really began to freak out. As a girl of my age, 
I always would jump to the worst possible outcome. I wasn't very tall, and I only stood at about 5 foot 2, so I knew that I could easily be manhandled if the people in the car had any ill intentions, but I knew that was very unlikely, so I tried to tell myself to calm down. I reached the cul-de-sac at the end of the street, so at this point I was now running on the opposite side of the car. They were still going very slow. What I did next may have just saved my life, and I really can't imagine what would have happened to me if I didn't. Right as the car and I were about to be right next to each other, I paused my music but kept my earbuds in, given the illusion that I was still listening. As the car and I got closer, I heard the two men now speaking. One of them actually tried to speak to me, yelling hey or something, but I didn't reply back because I knew that it would blow my cover and they would know I would be able to hear them. As the car drove a little behind me and out of my view now, I heard one of them say, Don't worry, we'll get her when we turn back around. I just froze, dead in my tracks. Get me? I felt like something had dumped a bucket of freezing water right on my head. I knew they had to go around the cul-de-sac still, so I did the only thing I could think of. I sprinted. As I ran down the street, I looked over my shoulder and saw that the car had already gone around the cul-de-sac and was going a lot faster now right after me. I turned into the main road of my neighborhood and ran. I passed my street and just ran as fast as I could towards the end of my neighborhood. My house was the first on my street so I knew that they would see where I lived if I tried to go home. I was scared to death at this point and I was running for my life. I had no idea what I could do to get away from these people so I just pushed my body to go as fast as possible. I continued to check over my shoulder hoping that maybe they wouldn't be there but they were. They were right behind me, and I distinctly remember that they were silent. I had imagined them yelling at each other that I was going to get away, but they were chasing me in silence. I found that to be creepier than if they were yelling. When I ran down the last street in my neighborhood, I started running through backyards. That was the only thing I had left to do. I heard the car slam on its brake, turn off its engine, and three doors slam. My heartbeat sped up. I was so convinced that they were going to begin chasing after me through the backyards. Get back in the car. We won't find her like this. My heart dropped as I heard three doors shut and the sound of the car's engine start up again. Now that I was running through backyards, I would have to run across the streets too. Now, this was the scariest part for me because I would be very visible to the people in the car if they were to be driving down the main road. I remember staring at the street trying to decide whether or not I should try and wait it out or if I should just book it home. I just went with it and booked it home. I didn't even check my shoulder as I ran through backyards, jumped over fences, and ran across streets. I was just waiting for car lights to light up the area around me or for arms to wrap around me, but it never happened. Somehow the car must have turned down the wrong street or completely missed me, and I truly do believe that is the luckiest thing that has ever happened to me. When I finally got to my house, I wasted no time jumping through the door. Once I slammed my door shut, I sat on the ground and thought about what had just happened and what could have happened. I never ended up telling my parents until years later, or calling the police. But if they're still out there, I hope they'll be locked up somewhere so they can't ever terrorize a child ever again. I can't imagine what they would have done to me if they ever caught me. That thought alone terrifies me. I know it's kind of lame to end a story this way, but needless to say, let's not ever meet again.
So this happened to me when I was probably in third or fourth grade. I'm now a senior in high school, so about seven to eight years ago. My family was renting out a house in a cheap little neighborhood while we were building our own. I had made plenty of friends in our rental neighborhood, as well as the one the story was with. Let's call her Maddie. So Maddie had lived about six houses down from me, so we would frequently walk to and from each other's houses. On this particular day, we had been in her house and we decided we wanted to go to mine now. So we started walking to my house, which literally only took about a minute to get there, when we then noticed that a black sedan was following us. I noticed first and I immediately told my friend to run, and then we hurriedly ran up my driveway and hid behind my mom's jeep. The black sedan slowly came and parked right outside my house. That was when we noticed a man in the back seat. We ran the short distance up to the path and started banging on the front door and repeatedly pressing the doorbell. Luckily my mom was just in the front of the door decorating the Christmas tree, so she unlocked the door and let us in. We both started spilling everything super fast and we were right on top of each other. Finally she got what we were saying and when she looked outside the dining room window, the black car was still in front of our house, even after seeing an adult let us inside. The car had stayed there for about 30 minutes or so until my mom finally decided to call the police. The car had left shortly before the police ever showed up and me and Maddie got separately interviewed. Now, my house was positioned so that there was a street vertically down from my driveway and you could see multiple other streets that would cross through this road. Well, as I had looked out the window while being interviewed, I saw what I thought was the same black sedan moving slowly down another block. Now, in my 10-year-old little head, I was absolutely terrified to tell the cop and maybe start a whole nother commotion, and I was and still am very socially awkward, so I didn't say anything as I watched the car go by a few streets down. I'm not really sure if they ever got the guy, as we didn't get the license plate or know the brand of the car, but I'll forever regret not telling the police what I saw that day. Even if it wasn't the same car, I still could have potentially saved another child's life that day. When I was 16 years old, I decided to surprise my parents with a bouquet of flowers for Valentine's Day. We've always celebrated this as more of a family holiday rather than a romantic one. I didn't have a car to drive to a florist, but my high school was with walking distance of a hospital that boasted a gift shop that sells floral arrangements. Between classes during the week of Valentine's Day, I set off for the hospital by my lonesome cutting across campus to walk through a network of side ropes populated with specialty doctor's offices that keep odd hours. It was the sort of buildings where traveling doctors would mainly just hold surgery consultations or perform really small procedures a few times a month. The trip there passed without incident. Now, as I was walking back through said deserted roads with a vase of flowers in tow, I noticed an unkempt 90s car close behind me. While my memory of the car is pretty hazy, I'm left with the impression that there were at least two men within whose faces I couldn't see. Initially, I assumed that the driver was just simply afraid of hitting me, which was the reason they weren't passing me by, so I had made a point of dramatically trudging further into the grassy shoulder of the road, trying to demonstrate that they could safely drive ahead. They still refused to pass by me though, continuing to creep along behind me at a slow pace. Beginning to suspect that the driver was more interested in me than an actual destination, I began to walk faster now. 
The car confirmed my suspicions by matching my speed. Despite the impracticality of my shoes and the threat of spilling water from my vase, I then commenced to run as fast as I could. They hit the gas and again matched my speed. I realized at this point that the car was following me, that there was no one in sight to notice, and that I needed to get away ASAP. I immediately bolted into the first parking lot that I saw. The car turned in after me. Despite there being only two or three cars in the spacious front parking lot, and there being no other sign of activity at the office, this car didn't stop to park in the numerous spaces available there. The driver instead opted to pursue me in the partially under construction back portion of this lot, which was right behind the office. It literally passed every available parking space in order to corner me against a pile of debris and rubble from the construction, coming to a diagonal stop less than three feet away. Before anyone could emerge from the vehicle, I somehow managed to scale the small prominence of rubble against my back, vase in hand, and jump from its peak to land painfully on the other side, which fortunately for me was a plot of undeveloped land which was within sight of my high school campus. I took a quick peek back over my shoulder to see if they were still in pursuit, but the car had sped off after I reached the top of the rubble pile and was now nowhere in sight. They hadn't parked in the lot at all. They had no business there. The driver was just following me. I sprinted in top speed and didn't stop until I was soaked with sweat in the dead cold winter and panting in the student lounge among my classmates, who didn't really seem to give a damn when I told them, possibly because our hometown is supposedly a human trafficking capital and the crime rate's outrageous. In retrospect, I should have told an adult, alerted campus security, and called the non-emergency line of the local police station. But I was young, foolish, and secure, and really afraid of getting in trouble for leaving campus when I didn't have a signed permission form permitting me to do so. I kept trying to convince myself that maybe I'd misread the whole situation, or maybe I was overreacting. I don't really know what I would have even told the police had I called them, as I was entirely ignorant of the subject of cars and couldn't have identified the make of it even if I had been asked, and plus, I couldn't see the faces of the occupants. I was also worried that my parents would restrict my already extremely limited freedoms if they knew I had been in any danger. I feel really horrible for having never told anyone, and I earnestly hope that my secrecy hasn't led to someone being hurt or killed. I believe the only missing people aside from runaway children or elderly adults with dementia in the city right now though are men, aside from one woman a few decades ago. Whoever followed and tried to trap a 16-year-old girl with flowers at a doctor's office just before Valentine's Day, I really hope to not encounter you again. At the time of this story, I was 8 to 11 years old. For some background information, I'm a female and I live in a small town in Illinois. The area I was living in at the time was a family community. I've actually lived there for seven years of my life. Now let me explain the layout of the street. This is really important for the story. Okay, so my street is a half circle shape, and from my backyard there was my best friend's house. For the sake of the story, let's call her Rose. I had a fence in my yard, but they didn't. But we happened to have a gate that led into their yard. Rose's house was the first on their street, while mine was the third house. But yet mine and hers lined up. Okay, now on to the story. I can't really remember what month this happened in. I only remember that it was 6pm, closing into 7. The sun was now setting and I had just gotten a new bike that day. Being kind of busy all day, I didn't get a chance to ride it much. I begged my parents to let me ride my bike from my house to Rose's house, 
They said yes, but just to be back within 10 minutes. I hopped on my bike and started pedaling down the street. As I had turned the corner now on Rose's street, I saw a Volkswagen Beetle coming towards me. I was also on the sidewalk, so I didn't really think too much of it. The only weird thing about it is that it was a pink car. I had never seen that car ever there while living there for years. The car was driving slowly and it was driving by the house right next to Rose's. I was getting close to her house now, ready to turn around. As I was less than 50 feet from her house, the car then stopped about 15 feet behind where I was. I slowed down even more than looking at the car as two large women 30 to 40 years old and 180 to 250 pounds got out of the car. The driver who opened the trunk pulled out a very large black trash bag and the passenger who was slightly thinner headed towards me. In my little kid mind, I knew exactly what was happening. I had watched so many shows with my mom about stuff just like this and I knew I had very little time to react. I threw down my bike and ran to Rose's front door. Her grandma, mom, and her brother, who I was also very close with, all lived there, and they were always home, so I knew it would be okay and they would help me. There was a blind car that belonged to the grandma that parked in the driveway. I rang the doorbell and then repeatedly knocked on the door. I glanced back and saw the woman who was walking towards me, now jogging to the car, the driver already in the car. I was praying somebody would open the door for me, but nobody was home. Fortunately for me, though, the car sped off. I waited about 20 seconds and ran to my bike, grabbing the handlebars and then running to my backyard gate. For some more info on the layout of my backyard, the gate from Rose's backyard to mine happened to be parallel to my dad's small garden on the side of the house, which had another gate leading to the front yard. I walked through my backyard heading to the side gate so I could put my bike in the garage and then be safe inside my house. At this point I was bawling my eyes out, absolutely terrified of what had just happened to me. As I was putting my bike away now and walking to my garage door that led into my mudroom, I then heard a car driving by. And as you would expect, I saw the same pink Volkswagen Beetle driving down the street. I then punched the button to close my garage and then ran inside. My mom was concerned about why I was sobbing, horrified to tell her what had just happened. I lied and I just told her I fell off my bike. She then comforted me for the rest of the night. This experience lasted no more than seven minutes, but yet to this day, I still can't get it out of my head. I'm 14 years old now, and I moved a few years later after that experience, but to those really creepy ladies with the pink ladybug car, I really don't want to see you again. Let me start by saying I'm a 23-year-old African-American female, but when this happened to me, I was 21 years old. This happened in July of 2019. I had been working at my new job at the local mall in my city for about a month now. My day had started off pretty fine, then I started my way to work. I got there around 12 o'clock. I had clocked in and then started helping customers. At the time, it was mostly just females that worked in my store. Anyways, I had happened to notice what I think was a Hispanic guy wearing this dark blue shirt with blue jeans, white shoes, and a white hat. He was walking past the store a lot, but like I said, I work in the mall and people walk past the store all the time. The day continued as normal, and as it hit 5 o'clock, the same guy was still hanging around the store, but I didn't pay it any mind. I walked down the security exit and no one else was in there. I was alone, or so I thought. Nope, 
Here once again comes that Hispanic guy walking. I started walking a little faster as I now had a gut feeling telling me I need to get out of here, but there's only two ways out. Either exited the way at the end or the way I came in, but I wasn't about to turn and face that. So I started running and he started running after me. I ran down the security exit with tears in my eyes because when I turned back, I saw that he was catching up to me. I saw that look in his eyes. That look of that I'm his prize and he was going to get me one way or another. I continued to run until I hit the exit and caught up with this sweet old lady walking out of the mall. I looked back and he was finally gone. I told her what had happened and she walked me to my car, then telling me she was going to security to report him. When I made it home that night, I broke down to my mom and boyfriend, now fiancé, about what had happened. I called the mall to let the store know what happened due to the fact that there were two other females that were closing the store that night. I didn't call the cops as no real crime was committed, but I now no longer work there due to other issues. But I gotta say, that's definitely one of the scariest things that's ever happened to me.